cold brew coffee. They're Good. perfect bottles. Oh, yeah. nice. Mm-hmm. Good. Classes it up a little bit. It does. <laughs> mm-hmm. We have a little class in our lives, don't we? <laughs> You're going to so, say that more after you talk with us, I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> Podcast about bourbon and the ones who drink it. This is Bourbon Matters. Welcome to Bourbon Matters. I'm Jake. I'm Dan. And I'm Gold Eagle Jake. And we're joined by Raj Bakta tonight of uh, Bakta and Whistlepig fame. Great to have you on the show, Raj. Great to be here, Jake. So, uh, like I said, um, you are the founder of Bacta Spirits and Once Upon a Time Whistlepig, um, which kind of benchmarked rye uh, for like the new generation of whiskey drinkers. Um, so uh, do you want to give a little bit of background on that? And then we'll get into Bacta Spirits, which is your, your new venture. Yeah. Um... I, I guess where to begin with that one, Jake? I, I get I I began Whistlepig back. Uh, I guess you could trace the journey back to. I uh, in 2006 I lost a race for U.S. Congress. It was it was uh, it was an interesting race. Um, I lost despite my best efforts, which included taking an elephant across the Rio Grande with the mariachi band playing. Uh, which got quite a bit of national attention, but couldn't change the, you know, change the overall trajectory that um, I don't know, I guess got me down and uh, ended up buying a farm in Vermont in the year after. And uh, I didn't really have any idea what to do with it. The economy tanked soon thereafter in 2008, there was a big financial crisis, big, the great recession as they called it. And um, I was broke alone on a farm without a girlfriend and in a town with more cows by far than eligible women and uh, probably like 10 to 1 ratio. And I needed to figure out how to get out of this hole. Uh, And I was going to lose the plot literally if I didn't. And long story short, by a series of I guess discoveries, I realized that there's this gigantic opening in the American whiskey uh, category, which is both like luxury American whiskey, craft American whiskey, and even more specifically rye and uh, created that. That's now, uh, you know, big multi-billion dollar success. And um, I sold that a bit ago and began buying up all the oldest and rarest spirits. I wouldn't say all, but the bulk of the oldest and rarest spirits on earth. And then we're putting together and we're releasing them both in single vintages. That is the single product of a single year from a single distillery and in a couple of blends to open the world, um, a whole new world. I sound like that Aladdin guy. Um, whole new world. I've got four kids, so I'm uh, you know, fully up to date on these uh, on these on these Disney movies. But a whole new world of spirits from around the world, from rum to Armagnac to rye to bourbon. We've bought some of the most interesting stocks on the earth, and I release them in small batches to my friends, like Jake. 
at Gold Eagle and, um, you know, have fun doing it. So it's great to be here. Thanks. Yeah, Raj, I, I got a quick question. My, uh, well, real quick, my yeah, first go, go, go. really good bottle of whiskey was Whistle Pig 10 in college when I turned 21 and just finished an architecture project and needed something to celebrate with. <laughs> I've, I've that heard that story on. before. So that's, that's not a, that's not a lie to make you feel good, Raj. Yeah. <laughs> did you, did you get like shit faced and puke? No. Um, I probably drink half of it though that night, but that's what sold me on rye. I've been a fan of her since. Nah, whistle pig's a great brand. It's a great rye. It was a lot of fun. So I think a, a big thing that I caught from uh, your little story there, Raj, and I think maybe needs a little more explanation for a lot of people is how you're releasing all these spirits in single vintages. Mm-hmm. Why, why vintages, you know, everyone, when they pick up a bottle of whiskey, um, pick up a older bottle of Armagnac, the first thing they think is how old is this? And you're kind of almost going the other way and just releasing everything as a vintage and not really putting an age statement on the products. Yeah, that's a great question. So why put it as a vintage? Well, let's go back to the whistle pig. So Jake, how many years ago did you get that bottle of whistle pig when you were doing that celebration? Uh, it was probably like 2013. So okay. a while ago. So that would have probably been a 2011 or 2013. I'm trying to remember what we were putting out then. The bottom line, what you were tasting then is very different from what you taste in a 10-year whistle pig now, right? Mm-hmm. The Especially the beginning um, vintages. And so what I realized that I had put, for example, my initial releases of whistle pig were like 1999-2000, actually Alberta Canadian whiskey. If I had stuck the vintage and the particular distillery on that label, those bottles, because they were the greatest that were the part of the initial release, would be worth way more. And you would know what you were actually getting. And so most of these blends, they move, they shift over time. But a single vintage from a single chateau, to use the, the, the wine term, those you know what you're getting forever, right? And so what's been driving wine collectors for centuries now Right, is this idea of, of a vintage from a particular estate we're taking into the world of spirits. And so our 2013 rye, which we can start out with, the, um, or we could start out with our 1973. We can start out wherever you guys want to start out. The, but bottom line, that's never going to change. And that's a, a finite number of bottles that we release. And so if you're really into high-end spirits, by the way, most of all these bottles that everybody's collecting, I don't want to get into a whole bunch of, <laughs> of uh, uh, separate issues. But bottom line is that 90% of the bourbons that people are drinking that they think are particularly unique are from the same two or three distilleries. Mm-hmm. Now they have, may have some different vintage finishes, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and in certain areas... The, the, I'm included in getting it from those same distilleries, but moving into truly unique single releases from a particular distillery the, of a particular year, that's the gold standard of unique. For example, the 1973 that I have in front of me, this is a single vintage 1973 Armagnac that was distilled just within a couple of years 
uh, I mean, sorry, within a couple of weeks in the fall of 1973. Anyway, I don't know if that helps in, um, in, in getting what I'm saying, but it's basically a particular year that's never going to change. And if you're into collecting, what you want is a particular year. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that certain grains have different flavors more or less year to year than other, other grains? So do you feel that uh, a bourbon with a lot of corn in it changes more year to year versus a rye? That's a completely different style. Of you grain? get more variability in a rye mm-hmm. um, because it's uh, you know, it's not a GMO product It's not nearly as homogenized. It's not going to be as mixed together. So you get more variability in a rye for sure. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should start with the rye. That's what I'm sipping on because we were talking about rye, and oh, I figured. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to complain about that. So, all right. <laughs> I figured why not start with uh, something that's different before we dive into all the Armagnacs. Yeah. So this rye distilled in 2013 came from a distillery in Indiana, quite a quite a well known one, MGP. We, a lot of people have MGP products out there. This is a fairly well-known mash bill, a famous mash bill from them, 95.5, you know, um, a gold standard in rye whiskey overall. Some might so say the best. The Some would no, be me. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's for whatever, however you want to cut it, this is in the conversations of the finest rye um, products ever put out, right? Mm-hmm. Then we take this, and that's great. A 10-year-old rye whiskey is right in a sweet spot of age. Love 10-year rye. And then we do something interesting to it. The rye is naturally very spicy. We take that and we combine that with the apple notes that we get in a Calvados cask. So I finished this in a Calvados cask. And I even put this, although it, I, I did it in the very end and it didn't make it on the label, I put this for a little bit of time in the 1990 uh, rum cask, um, which gave it another little unique element. So we took a product that it itself is iconic and then took it to a new level. And then, so you get on the nose, your standard levels, you know, it's de- very definitely a rye. You pick up a little bit of apple on it. Little, 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 putting faint nose. And then on the nose, 100 and what? There's 100 107 or something. something. Yeah. And this is a beautiful, recognizably rye product. But at the same time, as something like you've never quite tasted in a rye before, and that's the Calvados with a pinch of that rum and you'll see the rum when we taste it in a little bit, you've never had another <clears throat> rum like it. Yeah. I'm a big fan of finishing rye in some kind of sweet, uh, you know, distillate or wine barrel. Um, like rum finished rye is fantastic. Um, in my opinion, I think, uh, some of the rum finished ryes are like my favorites. Um, this is also fantastic. I love the apple notes that this kind of, uh, the way the apple blends with the rye spice is, is really nice. Um, extremely balanced. Yeah. yeah that was the first thing that came to my head. Mm-hmm. Was balance. 
Yeah, because the one thing that I will say is you can really screw up a finish on a rye and oversweeten it. Yeah. Um, I think that that ruins the whole point of rye, which is totally. that like spiciness and you just want to um, give it a kiss. Yeah. This you is, just yeah, want to give it a kiss it. because when you taste a rye that's sweet, it's like, yeah, what's the point? Mm-hmm. You know, have a have a have a uh, Captain Morgan or something. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I'm no, this not is... normally a big rye person, um, and I usually am not a big fan of high rye. So if I if I like rye, it usually has a pretty decent percentage of corn mixed in with it. I would have had no idea this is MGP. Uh, it's smoother. It doesn't have I I don't like some of the dill flavors I get out of normal MGP rye, and I don't like the heavy pepper on it. And I'm not getting any of that here. Um, yeah, I, I was going to say this. It doesn't really fall into like the four different kind of ryes that we talk about. It's kind of its own thing. And I would say this is a perfect rye for somebody who thinks they don't like rye because yeah. it's not offensive in any way. Um, but mm-hmm. it also has complexity for somebody who's really into rye and just wants something a little bit different. Um, you know, this is it's kind of hits hits all, all the notes. And I think it's it's a great whiskey for anyone whether you're a beginner an expert um or just looking for something different yeah yeah the, the this rye i'm really proud of this is my first real pure rye that i put out since Whistlepig, and there are two major axioms there are two two major levers uh that really compete against one another in um in spirits overall and that's character and flavor and smoothness rather. So it's easy to get something with a lot of character. You just, you know, drive your proof way up the, and make a relatively raw distill and you have huge amounts of character. And it's relatively easy to make something smooth. You just distill the hell out of it and proof it down and you're going to have something pretty smooth. The, to get the balance of the two is the trick. Uh, is the art. And that we do very, very well here. This is a rye like no particular other rye you're going to taste. And that's what we really try to do. You know, at mm-hmm. Bacta, these are all the, the, the total release of this thing, I think is 800 cases to the entire country. The, um, you know, you probably got some at Golden Gold Eagle. The, I always want to say Golden Eagle for some reason. Everybody does. Everybody does. <laughs> and then we just call Golden Eagle. No, that's it's, never been Golden Eagle. <laughs> it's, it's Chicago. It's surprised it's not called Gold's Eagles. They always got to put an S in everything. <laughs> the, um, well, beyond trying to rename your, your, your very fine establishment, the, the, this is, this is a, a, a super small release. And everything that we do is, I don't say collectible because a lot of people talk about that. But it's a very finite, there's no more 2013 rye coming out. So if you like it, pick up a couple, keep it, because it's not going to be coming out. It's, it sits there. And in 20 years from now, it's still a 2013 rye. And as you're going through your cabinet and you hand things down and you have special leases, this is going to look a hell of a lot older with the 2013 you know, uh, 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 vintage on it than if it just said, 10.8 year old rye whiskey which is what it is how long it's been aged yeah not even that but just think about like what if what if the uh like all the pappy van winkle just for a, a obscure example had a vintage on the front 
you know, how cool would that be to say, hey, I have one from 1995 that was way before anybody knew what this stuff was. So I'm all on board with the vintage thing, um, which is kind of why I asked that question, because I just think more people need to, you know, hear why you should be caring about the vintage and drinking vintage versus just caring and worrying about the age statement of the bottle. Absolutely correct. And to make a final point on that, Jake, I'm glad you bring it up. The 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 high-end wine world has been around for centuries and they've gotten into vintages for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. The, the high-end spirits market is a relatively new thing. And we're just taking the, the concept of when you love a particular thing and of that particular year from that particular place, get it and hold on to it. Stock up on that, on that particular thing. The, the, because the other bottles will change, they'll move, and you won't know why or what this bottle tastes different than this bottle, but these will, these are fixed in time and totally finite, right? And that's true of everything that we're going to taste. And that's Bakta in a nutshell. And Never going to make more little, of those. Yeah, and it definitely becomes more of a point as we get into the Armagnacs because now you're not only talking one distill it but you're also talking grapes that were picked in that particular mm-hmm. vintage so yeah and 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 armagnac as we'll get into is i think the gold standard of craft of small batch of small little farms in a secreted away southwest corner of france where it's from the harvest of a year and it was distilled mostly over a couple of days, literally, instead of the 24-7 whiskey uh, cycle that we have in really almost all whiskey distilleries. Armagnac is produced from a harvest, and a still will show up on that farm, and they'll make it over a couple of days. So, you know, if you think about the uniqueness of it, I love whiskey, we do whiskey, I'm never going to say a bad thing about whiskey, but in the world of rarity, Armagnac moves to a t- totally new level. So I, do we want to get into the Armagnac next then and save the rum for the end? Yeah, let's do it. Let's and, do and it. So, Raj, I guess the biggest question with the Armagnac is how did you end up finding all this in France? Uh, France? Were you on a search for it? Did you stumble across it? How did you find wait, all wait. these old vintages? Oh, sorry. One, one, one back question before that. Why... Why did you decide to get into Armagnac? Because when you were starting Bacta, that's kind of before bourbon like really boomed. And now there's a lot of people saying bourbon's peaking, like it's too late to get into bourbon. Um, So like three, four years ago, five years ago, whatever, what was it that made you decide to get into Armagnac? And then how did you find all that Armagnac? I suppose what I do in the, in this business and I, as I'm always looking around the corner, right. The, and saying, okay, this is the world of spirits. I know the world of spirits pretty well. What can I deliver to the consumer that they've never really touched before? Right. And I did that with rye with whistle pig. Rye wasn't really a category until we brought it back. I mean, it was a category a long time. 150 years ago, the, and then it vanished. The, what I love about Armagnac is that it is really the ultimate discovery in spirits. The, and I was looking for that, what is the new great 
uh, uh, undiscovered category in the world of spirits that for reasons of history, mistakes of history, etc., the vicissitudes of history, twists and turns that have just never made it to the global stage. And that's Armagnac, which comes from grapes, southwest of France. And how I ended up doing it, let's, let's open up this, we'll try this 94, which is what, only about 30 years old. Um, is that your birth year? Is oh, that yeah. where we're having it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I graduated from uh, high school in 94. <laughs> you're, you're dating me here. So um, what is Armagnac? Armagnac is made from grapes. Uh, so it's a distilled wine. Um, Armagnac is a particular region. So Armagnac can only be made in Armagnac. It's a relatively small region. Uh, southwest of France, oldest recorded spirits category in humankind goes back to 1310. The Pope sends out um, his uh, men uh, all throughout Christendom and wants a report on the interesting products of it. A guy named Cardinal de Four comes across Armagnac. The stills were brought in during the Arab conquest of the south of France around the 700s. They left and they were conquered. They were pushed out of France, but they left the stills. Um, the locals started using it to distill their wine. The wine uh, was brought to France by Julius Caesar, who conquered uh, Gaul, France, 50 years before Christ. So this is legitimately both the oldest spirits known to man as a category the, and its least known. And if we were to smell this, you'd say, okay, well, maybe it was unknown and maybe this isn't recognized for a good reason. But you get a little bit of nose on this thing and this has got layers and layers of spice and cinnamon and complexity. And I mean, you know, notes, uh, uh, flavor notes so uh, rich and complex that it's not known in really any other spirits category. And I came across it, I was on sabbatical, uh, you know, I took a little time off when I was selling Whistle Pig and I was spending some time in France. Long story short, my wife throws me out of the house. She's pregnant with baby number four at the time. She's pregnant with baby number five now. The, Congratulations. And uh, she was upset, you know, said, oh, thank you. So it was all my fault. So I got into the car, drove across France <laughs> from the Alps into the Southwest. And I figured, okay, let me go check out this Armagnac. I'd received a little exposure to the category from going back to uh, my whistle pig days. We'd finished a boss hog release in Armagnac casks. That was a black Prince number four. And I was like, this is, this is, I want to know more about Armagnac. I went there and I found a Chateau, which had every single vintage from 1868 to the present day. So you guys get it. You go to, you've been to a couple of whiskey distilleries and they got their four year, their five year, their 10 year, their 15 year, you know, and that's really old. This had every single year from 1868 to the present day. I mean, it's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's and hard so to I was wrap just enchanted. It's hard to wrap yeah. your head around. It's hard to wrap your head around. I, I mean, look, I walked in, I was a buyer, and when the guy showed me what I had, my jaw dropped like I had seen Giselle Bunchen, you know, fresh <laughs> out of the coat. He, he, and, and, you know, which is not, not what you want when you're negotiating. The... <laughs> And um, I couldn't believe it. 
I couldn't believe it. And I started tasting the stuff. And well, let's get into this 94. 94 is young. 30 years old is young in Armagnac terms. And I'm going to ask you guys what you think of this because I can go on for hours. I think it, you know, the, the, the spice notes are there. Lots of baking spice. The fruit definitely comes forward. And it's, it's um, there's like darker kind of dried fruits, but it's also pretty bright, um, which yeah, is interesting, especially for whiskey drinkers. Yeah. Um, it's, it's also the... I, what's interesting about the nose to me on most Armagnacs is how little ethanol there is and how you can really get your nose in there like a, a wine without like burning your nose out the way you do with whiskey if you really you know stick your nose in the glass yeah and this um, is 110 proof yeah right yeah I, I think like I mean same way Rye always had a really bad perception till recently I think the same thing with Armagnac is I think when a lot of people hear it, they think of an old stuffy barber shop with 70 year old guys getting their straight razor <laughs> shave. And it's something that tastes like the alcohol they throw in the comb bin. Uh, and it has none of those flavors. It is a very well balanced, very well rounded, soft alcohol. It's a great spirit. Mm -hmm. And here, like if you're drinking, think about it. I mean, you go back pick up a couple of spirits, get a couple bottles of bourbon. I mean, and, and look, I don't want to speak in any bad about tequila because I think there is some great tequila out there. The There's but, also a lot of really bad tequila out there, <laughs> especially with all these celebrity brands. So just say what you want to no. say. <laughs> well, like, yeah, I mean, you know, to be candid, it's a lot of shit, right? Yeah. The, the, mm -hmm. and, and there's a lot of normalcy in bourbon. Like what I really want to try to do is deliver people something truly unique, truly extraordinary, and truly something that when you pick up a bottle of this, a bottle of 94, a bottle of 73 that we're going to taste, a bottle of 81, my personal favorite, the, the by the way, 73 won number one spirit in the world, number one in the world in one of the greatest competitions this year, and number one is tough, right? It's, it's very different than number three. Difference Congrats. between the gold and the bronze medal. Um, it's just so vastly more special than anything else in the world of spirits. And it kind of is amazing to me that this never got out. I mean, why didn't this ever get out? I mean, yeah, there's all the spirits category known to mankind. Everybody knows cognac. Right. Everybody knows, you know, everybody knows uh, champagne. The but this Armagnac never made it out. Why? Well, that's also a fascinating uh, study. The it's just the people in Armagnac. Culturally, it's a it's an agriculturally rich region. What does it mean when it's an agriculturally rich region? It means that people are their bellies are full. So one of the greatest reasons to get out and sell stuff and hustle is when you're hungry. It's something that we need to keep, uh, you know, keep in mind in America today. The the when there's no incentive to hustle, you don't hustle. The and so there's not much incentive to hustle, and they're geographically isolated from the main port of Bordeaux, which is where the area through all the wine flows out and and the, and the cognac flows out. 
So geographically isolated and full bellies, they keep it to themselves, right? The, and that's the reason we can taste all these ancient things. The, and they even exist, which is, which is kind of mind-blowing when you sit and think about it for a second. When we're talking about, oh, did you taste this bourbon versus that bourbon or this new tequila? It's all young stuff, all coming from the same kind of stuff. This is, and this was produced by hundreds of small little farmers. And the reason Bacta Armagnacs, and I'm going to be quiet and answer whatever question is, the reason why are Bacta, as you get into different vintages of Armagnacs, as is going to happen, why are Bacta vintages interesting? Because the guy that I bought them from, he wasn't a seller. He was a collector. He was buying this, and I don't mean he. He, his father, his grandfather, and his great-grandfather have been buying this since the late 1890s as a family investment, not selling their best vintages, but finding the best vintages and putting them into their cellar. And that's why our vintages are winning all the awards. I mean, if, if, if we were, and I'll brag a little bit, the, the, if, if I was like a general and there were medals for various battles won in the form of like winning competitions, I wouldn't be able to get my jacket on because there'd be so many, so many medals at this point, you know, from, and that's because we had a, a family, five generations, and we're lucky enough to be stewards of that collection to, you know, bring to the world of these great old Armagnac vintages. Well, I don't know anything about collecting so much distillate that you can't drink it in a lifetime. So it's a little lost on me. <laughs> By the way, Raj, that's like a third of his collection behind yeah. him. <laughs> well, that's a serious thing. Like, how did you get into this, Jake? Um, me and Dan. He has, he has problems. Started drinking <laughs> Basil Hayden a so while ago. Saying, how do you and, and Dan know one another? Uh, so my wife was friends with Dan first, and then Dan stole me as a friend. <laughs> That's then great. We, yeah, we both just uh, you know liked whiskey, and then uh, started hunting, and yeah, and just went out of control. So <laughs> you guys have to come to Vermont here and do some hunting. I, I mean, I don't think we have quite the same uh, deer size as you do with all your corn out there. Oh, he, he was talking about bourbon hunting. I yeah, know probably the only person who's never hunted. <laughs> Got it. I should have guessed. <laughs> so tell me about bourbon hunting for a little bit. And tell me about, like, what are you finding in bourbon for the benefit of, like, what are you guys? You guys are into bourbon. You're into whiskey. Like, what are you seeing going on? You know, Jake from a consumer standpoint, Dan, same thing from a collector standpoint, Jake uh from uh from a from a seller standpoint you read it was like what's what do you see going on what's what do you is is bourbon peaked yeah, we just, we just, we just recorded this, this last, last week, week. Yeah. yeah i personally i don't think it's peaked yet i think dan thinks it might um i think we're getting close but i don't think we're there yet but i do think we're there's going to be a lot more bourbon out there than what people can drink let alone buy so we're getting, we're getting very close, but I mean, from a store standpoint, a lot of it has to do with just FOMO. I think people want, you know, they don't want to miss out on the next greatest release. Um, they want to impress their friends when their friends come over and have, you know, the biggest and best collection. 
Um, they want all the rare bottles and it's it's kind of crazy because we've we do all these blind tastings at the store and we've kind of debunked the that rare is better um like 80 percent of the time the bottle that's sitting on the shelf will take down the allocated rare bottle that everybody's chasing um so i think a lot of it you is wouldn't just be talking about pappy would you no no definitely not Okay. <laughs> um, but you know, a lot of it is just people, they read some good review, some hyped up article or some bottle they just hear is hard to find and they just automatically assume it's better. So like bourbon hunting is a real thing where people go out and just search and search and go to 10, 20 liquor stores in a day, just trying to find that next greatest bottle. Hmm. Well, you know, they could just, um, I mean, I'm, I'm as biased as they come. The So I admit that, but they could just like give that up and just come to your shop and pick up Bakta. They could. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's save, 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 save them some time because, you know, we're not, we're not available in the big boxes, in the big stores. And um, that's certainly true in Illinois. We, yeah, I mean, we, we, only, we only sell, I only sell, as you know, Jake, because you visited here. The, to people that I know and that come and uh, visit and we develop a relationship and they're the ones that get, you know, the product. That, that's one of the bigger things we push is, I mean, I think when you start out and start getting into whiskey, you start doing, you have to do all the hunting. You have to try and find that bottle that you always want, but you gotta we talk about mistakes. it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> we, we talk about a lot that the majority of the time it's not worth it. Go someplace where you can try something, find what you like, and then go, you can find those bottles way more easier than a lot of the, things that people are searching for and, and stuff that's and, way better and what do you think what are the primary ones that people are searching for buffalo anything buffalo trace basically yeah. and then a lot of just the special releases yeah it's just it's anything mm-hmm. that's limited which is just mind-blowing because like nobody's tasted this stuff it's so limited that there's only a couple bottles hitting each store and people just assume it's got to be the best tasting bourbon they've had because it's so rare um but yeah, like a lot I said, of times these, these things are like selling out before reviews even come out, you know, mm-hmm. so people are clamoring for it completely blind. And that's, um, that's a, that's another good point. Cause a lot, and even, even as these reviews come out, a lot of them are definitely biased and, you know, there, there's, there's something going on behind the scenes there. There's a reason why these big review people are tasting all of these rare bottles before anybody else. Um, they're, they're getting mm-hmm. taken care of from the distilleries and it's creating a lot of false, uh, hope or false information within the industry. Um, and I, I personally believe it's only a matter of time within probably five, 10 years when most people kind of catch on, hopefully they'll catch on, um, and just realize, you know, rare doesn't necessarily mean better and you got to find what you like and go from there. So should we move into the 81? Let's yeah. do it. And right off the nose, this is a completely different product. And you can see how much darker this is than the 94 too. 70s Just... eight to like 83, 82. I mean, my favorites, you know, right now are between... Like 62 in Armagnac and 82. Um, yeah, I got the 62. 
It's phenomenal. Oh boy, that's so good. Uh, you know, that's the best steal in the world of spirit. You get a 60 year old spirit, you know, 60 something year old spirit. You got that for probably five, 600 bucks. Yeah. Cheaper at Gold Eagle. Yeah. I think it was discounted because I bought it at the master class. Yeah. He bought it at the, <laughs> at the tasting. Mm. I mean, so what happens in this? I'll tell you. You begin to pick up chocolate notes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You begin to pick up um, these, like, they call it rancio in the world, like earth. Uh, it's really spent a lot of time in the barrel. So you pick up, um, it's like uh, um, like fig notes. Yeah, I was going to say figs, um, dates, dark, dates, dark fruits. Dark, mm -hmm. dark, rich fruits. You know, you're connecting literally with the earth at this point from the barrel that it's been sitting in for 40 plus years now, you know, the, and you're getting complexity and depth and richness that's unparalleled in the entire world of spirits. The, the longer you let the finish set, the more and more and more that deep, dark fruit just really kicks in. Yeah. It's kind of, and you and you can smell it on the nose, and then you get it on the finish. Yeah, you know, it's like you can smell like, wow, this is like, what's really like, and I, even if I approach it and I'm tasting the different whiskeys, like it's like nothing else. It's really like nothing else. It's yeah. so deep, so rich, so complex. Yeah, this would this would this be a really beautiful, really fun blind for a bourbon lover. Mm -hmm. they'd, I bet you they'd be stumped because like it could almost be confused for a bourbon, um, but there's just so much more complexities that that tie in that, that I think they just be like, what is this finished in? Like, I don't I've never had anything like this. It's almost like could be a tequila, could be a scotch, it could be a bourbon. Um, but no, this is Armagnac and it's it's an older Armagnac and super well-rounded and very approachable for anybody's palate. Yeah, I mean, 81, and I think, you know, this 81 is, I don't know, you probably get it around, call it 350 or so, 300 or so, you know, a bottle. The But for a 40-year-old spirit that you can taste next to almost anything and say, my God, this is great. I mean, I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do more, right? In other words, to like, uh, uh, to deliver something extraordinary. And in the 94, we go back in your mental file, it tastes young and vibrant and that's only 30 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Jake, I'm putting an order through for the 81. <laughs> I think it's on sale right now, right? I, it is. I just pulled it up. Mm -hmm. I, wanted to yeah. it I was going to say, like, so. I'm, I'm going to be dropping a coupon code at the end of this podcast, but um, that one is on sale. So the coupon code this, will, this, will not this discount is my, further. This is my personal favorite vintage. It didn't win number one in the world. I don't know if we even submitted it for it. the, but this is my, you know, my personal favorite. It's an amazing vintage, you know, 42 years old. 43 years old. I mean, I, I think it's probably a little overlooked how little of a step it really is for a bourbon drinker to get into Armagnac. Cause especially 
yeah, I mean, even the 94 is like very similar in flavor profile to a good bourbon. Um, however, we noted that Armagnac, I think, has a lot more complexity um, just by the nature of its age. Um, and like, I, I think we should also talk about how the Armagnac is aged because um, it's a little bit different than whiskey. That's um, right. And, and interesting. Um, yeah, great, great, uh, great point. So uh, the, the, there's this job of cellar master in Armagnac, and his job is to take the new make and like steward it. So our cellar master has been in there since 1973. Uh, 72. And so he's been there for 50 years and this was his first or second vintage that he stewarded. uh, Sorry, not this one, the one we're going to taste in a second. The, and he took over from a guy who came in during the beginning of the second world war when his predecessor had to go off to the front. Mm -hmm. The, and, um, your job is to steward the spirit through your different barrels over time. And so, so in America, we put it into a barrel, we, we put it in the Rick house and then you pull it out and it's kind of done. Maybe you do a secondary barrel finish the, but it's pretty much done. The, in Armagnac, this 81, uh, for example, or the 73 has probably been through six or seven barrels. Right. So you'll say, okay, and those barrels are of different ages. So you put it in the beginning in the younger barrel and then you begin moving into older barrels as you want to begin slowing down the aging process because a barrel is much like a tea bag, right? The newer it is, the more flavor it's going to impart into whatever, uh, 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 whatever is in it. And then you want to, and you know, your barrels, you know, the different spirits and you're literally curating as cellar master, the journey uh, and the aging journey of that spirit generational, right? So now our cellar master is teaching a a guy named Giles Garnum, the, all the different spirits, all the different barrels, we're bringing new barrels in. So you're kind of aiming for extreme long-term maturation. The, and some of it you can earmark for, okay, this is relatively light and delicate. I think I want to have this out in five years. And I'll sell it in a blend of VSOP. We do everything to do for very long-term aging as single vintages. We're aiming for 20 year plus, right? And that's interesting when you think about that. You're not just putting it in a barrel and leaving it. You're curating a journey. Yeah. So are you distilling new make as well right now? Oh, yeah. Lots. Raj, I told you I want some of that new make. (laughs) Well, come and get it, bro. Last time I was there... (laughs) I want some of that oh, the new make, the new make Armagnac or brandy. You got to call it brandy, right? So, or, no, I think that I think that that's still. Uh, are you distilling in France or you? In France, the, we're doing some here, okay. but the Armagnacs. I think the one that you tasted was a 2019 Columbard grape mm-hmm. um, that had only spent like six months in wood at that point, and uh, yeah. It's ta- I just tasted it with a group. I, I just came. I'm in the library. 
um, you, you probably recognize the background. Mm-hmm. The and uh, the other Jake and Dan, you guys got to make it over here and see what we've got going on at the at the library and at the college. Yeah, Leo was talking it up at the the last event. It sounds awesome. No, the two thousand. How did Leo do, by the way? Uh very good. Yeah, he did yeah, really it was well. A great, great event. Good, good, good. Mm-hmm. Should we do seventy three? Yes, yeah, so let's go to the old one now here. Mm-hmm. Okay, number one number spirit in the world. One, number one spirit in the world. Ninety nine points. Chairman's trophy. Um, best in show. From a guy named Paul Picoult, who's a legend in the industry, his last spirits competition, he gave us the number one spot for this spirit, um, which is a sweet spot for age 50 years old in Armagnac. This vintage, you'll notice the same broad similarity of notes, but even more so that you tasted in the 81. Mm-hmm. Those, those what we call these, these earthy notes become more pronounced in this and you know i'll let you guys describe what you taste might be a minute on the nose on this one the the nose on this one compared to the 81 are more similar than the 81 to the 94 yeah yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. very similar actually but i get like more kind of like i don't know baked goods like a little less spice a little maybe a little like mustiness you can you can tell it's getting a little little older Mm -hmm. yeah it's a little bit um lighter than the than the 81 was like it still has quite a bit of those dark fruit notes but it it doesn't have quite as heavy of a of a profile if that makes any sense i don't know how else to describe it i'm gonna i'm gonna taste it right next to one i would uh man so this i mean this it takes the 81 to a whole nother level i thought i liked the 81 a lot and i think it kind of combines i don't know if it was this particular vintage but it combines like the young liveliness of 94 with the spice and older oak that you get on the 81 um, in yeah. a way that's like, it's, I don't want to say it's unbalanced, but it's kind of like a journey. Like you get different flavors at different times throughout the, uh, nose palette and finish. Um, and it just, it's almost like a roller coaster. Like you just get all these different flavors hitting at different waves at different times. Yeah. yeah I it's... think the 81 is actually more of like a, a rich bomb. Of yeah. complexity and the 73 is a little bit more nuanced. Mm-hmm. The um, I still still stick with 81 as my personal favorite because I love big depth and richness. Same, but 73 has an elegance and a lightness to it that the 81 doesn't have because of its tremendous depth and and richness. So you know, it kind of depends on what you like, but I think 73 overall, you go in, um, let's say you haven't gotten into Armagnac before or anything like that. The get into the 73, 50 years old, number one, so you're not going to go wrong. 81 is 
a bomb. Yeah, like the the seventy three, I think is the one that I would share with people that were new to Armagnac or you know new to you know aged distilled spirits in general. Hold up, and the eighty one is uh, what I would hoard for myself. <laughs> I would say yeah. the seventy three is something I would share with somebody like us, somebody who you know, has tried everything, um, you know, has a big collection. Like this is something that I think would blow away the person who thinks they have everything Mm -hmm. when it comes to spirits. Yeah. Yeah, Because they don't like it's, it's something totally sucker. It's totally different. It's super unique. It's extremely complex it, it's not offensive in any way, but has a ton of flavor packed into it. This is something that I would share with somebody who has 400 bottles in their collection. And, uh, you know, they'd, they'd be blown away by this. Yeah, I'm I'm just a sucker for the kind of flavors that's in the 81. You you like the so that's, that's 81, I, I think, has a little more like spice to it. Yeah, like and it's, the it's heavier, more of the a, darker, the better. Is mm-hmm. is my my kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think but this um, is just so well rounded and has a ton of different flavors, just all meshing together. Not like mm-hmm. so well where it's one dimensional. Like you can pick out each and every different flavor along the journey of this pour. Yeah, I'm taking this into work tomorrow because I do not believe this is 52 percent alcohol. This <laughs> around 85 proof. <laughs> Where are you working, Dan? Uh, Whiskey Acres, a small farm distillery here in northern Illinois. Oh, nice. We actually have a small connection because Dave Pickerel helped get us set up. Good. So, Well, are you doing any – we'll talk later, see if you got a couple of barrels you can do us for new make. All right. All right, shall we get into the final one, the big kahuna from, yeah. um, from a bomb standpoint? Like um, – this is as unique as a rum. I don't know uh, how many of you guys are into rum, but this is... We're definitely in a rum. Never a rum, anything remotely like this uh, before or again. I mean, that's me. I, I, I challenge you to tell me whether you think I'm uh, talking shit. The, uh, but so this rum was distilled in two different distilleries. All right. A little bit in 1981, I mean, 85, the, in uh, a column, a little bit in 19, or most of it in 1990 in a pot. The, then it leaves Jamaica. So it's got the funky Jamaican. The, then it goes to Canada where it sits in rye barrels. All right. Mm. So it picks up a lot of rye spice. Then it goes down to Tennessee, goes into bourbon barrels, and then comes back up to Vermont to go to Armagnac. So if you ever tried to recreate this, it would take a generation, two different distilleries in Jamaica, rye barrels in Canada, bourbon barrels in Kentucky, and Armagnac barrels in Vermont. So try to like solve that in the jigsaw puzzle. (laughs) Okay, the it's relatively light. If you look at the color, despite its age, yeah, yeah, this is not 
dark and syrupy. This is light and vibrant, okay? It's as bone dry. This is as bone dry as a rum gets. Pushing, what, 135 proof? 134 proof? So huge. Is that what it is? Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, 62%. And this oh, yeah. just explodes. This is mm -hmm. fireworks, you know, in the mouth. Yeah, this isn't the sugar bomb I'm, I usually get out of a lot of rum. Like yeah. I normally veer away from rum because of that fact that a lot of times the stuff you get is just still tastes like straight sugar. It's still there. You can still tell that it's rum. But, yeah, it's like... It's unbelievably complex for a rum. Comp it, it, it drinks a lot like a whiskey. It's bone dry in, in rum terms. It's got that sweetness yeah. and that viscosity, but it's as dry as it comes. This tastes like 105 proof. Yeah, it's yeah, just it's definitely not. Doesn't and drink it, as and high. It, it is one of the is. more like I've never had a rum this dry, but I, like Raj, how would you explain that? Because you were kind of going into something there and how how dry it is, but also like you, you do kind of get some sweetness that takes away the proof. And it's kind of, I think all that on it's, the well, I mean, you have the nat natural sweetness in the distillate, Jake, mm -hmm. the natural sweetness in the just distillate. And I think you got like basically 30 years in Canadian rye barrels, right? The, that imparted that spice and dryness of the rye into the rum. And it was sitting in a climate that was, you know, dry and slow aging and cold, right? The opposite of what you normally, you know, would have a, a rum aging in. And this is just an extraordinary, um, I mean, you know, the truth is, I don't know. I mean, mm -hmm. the, 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 I can, I can tell you this, that, and the next thing, the, and, you know, it might be more than half, right? Um, but what I can tell you definitively, and, and, and you guys, I was like, have you ever had a rum like this? No, absolutely no. not. Yeah. I've never, it's just I've a never, one, of, one of one of one. I don't think I've ever seen a Jamaican rum, like anywhere close to this age. Yeah, definitely not. And then, I think the... I, it, it is um, very dry, but I wouldn't call it like tannic and like, it doesn't like suck the moisture out of your mouth the way that no, like, yeah, that see, that's what I was overly for. dry things mm -hmm. can, you know? Yeah. It, it, it's just like, it's still a little like juicy, but it's not like, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty juicy. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's got but a it's certain earthy funk to it. But yeah. it's not mm -hmm. like too funky, you know. It's not like weird. Um, the rye, I think, is giving it some nice like spice notes too. But like it, the opposite of what we talked about earlier, where you don't want to over sweeten rye. You also don't want to over spice rum, you know. Um, yeah. And this is also, I think, balancing over spice that and over well and sweeten. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it, it, it's extremely well-rounded. So, guys, what do you think? I mean, listen, you've listened to a lot of different things. You've got a podcast about it. You guys are, like, chasing all these, all these different, you know, barrels. Like, what does 
What's interesting to you um, about, you know, the things that we've tasted in the Bakhtar portfolio? I, the biggest thing that's standing out to me, we've said it a few times. I think the biggest takeaway I have is how balanced everything is. Yeah. Everything, there's the flavor profile that you have in everything we've tried tonight is smooth, complex, but subtle. Um, mm-hmm. Like it, 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 yeah, it, you you can tell the bottler, distiller, whatever you want to call it. Like you guys know what you're doing because every spirit, and we've tasted all the different spirits. I mean, we haven't even tasted the bourbon, which you guys have a bourbon too. Um, but all the all the spirits just feel like they're bottled at the right time. You know, nothing's too oaky, nothing's too fruity, nothing's too finished. Like everything. Just feels like it's very hands-on, like whoever's deciding to bottle this and what proof to bottle it at just kind of knows what they're doing. And yeah. what percentage of the things that you taste in this thing actually don't demonstrate that? And I mean just out of curiosity. Like, so I'd say the biggest thing that differentiates particularly the Armagnac is that it's the Armagnac is like almost obviously curated. And I feel like a lot of times American whiskey is um, just kind of the product of whatever conditions. And like, that's what you get. Or um, or the product like, of profit. Yeah. And like a like lot of times you, can... you see, you know, like MGP is a good example. You see like a four year same mash bill everything's the same and another distillery is selling the same thing at an eight year for, you know, the same price or whatever, vice versa sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think, I think you can tell like these spirits are very hands on and, um, you know, some people might argue like the 94, the 81, 73, whatever, like vintage to vintage is not their favorite compared to another vintage. But, um, that's just, I think, what comes with Armagnac and the different vintage and the different grapes and the growing season. Like there's just so much more that plays effect here than any other spirit category, which I think a lot of people don't really think about because we use age statements and we're so used to age statements versus the vintage vintages. Yeah. I, I think you, you mentioned this earlier, Raj, that it, there's a, almost every bourbon uses the same corn. It's just yellow, yellow dent corn. And like, that's fine. And like you get, you know, different notes based on Damn where smiling. it's aged or how it's distilled or whatever, you know, I taught but, like, Jake good on corn. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks Dan. <laughs> but at the end of the day, like, I feel like you're really just sussing out incredibly small nuances in bourbon between two different distilleries or um bottles or whatever um it's marketing with the armagnac yeah with the armagnac it's far more dependent on the original distillate and the year it was distilled and the conditions like jake said um and then that process of transference from barrel to barrel over the years um, in order to build its flavor profile. Um, so it's, it's just a very different experience and a very different, like, in, in, I, I don't know if intentionality is like the right word, but that's kind of what I don't think that's even a mind. Word. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that a word? Well, the, the, is, you know, have you heard of this? This uh, there's a distillery up in Minnesota. I get maybe not that far from you guys. Uh, relative to me, it's close. Called Panther. Mm-mm. I feel like maybe I've heard of that, but no. I picked up a couple of barrels. It's a farmer. It's apparently what I heard. It's a farmer conglomerate up in Minnesota. And I picked up a couple of barrels from them. It's like pretty interesting stuff. The I'm, I'm working on a new blend. I'll send it to you that, um, that I'm creating for this thing called Hogsworth. Um, and we just did this photo shoot with uh, some, I mean, really fantastic models. I'm, I'm trying to show you some pictures. The, um, of like, pigs uh we had this like these gigantic pigs and we had some girls riding the pigs um and whipping them and the concept of it's just like you were talking about like get your hogs worth can you see that (laughs) yeah yeah nice (laughs) and um i i mean look i think a lot of people in the bourbon world are getting fucked for lack of a better term right i agree they're buying the same same type of stuff this is this is a fun one the well so just to piggyback off of that really quick like that's why we've gotten so good pun that's why we've gotten (laughs) yeah you caught that thank you uh that's why i've gotten so into doing barrel picks because all these distilleries and big Mm -hmm. commercialized you know they got a lot of marketing dollars they're putting the same whiskey in the bottle, just selling it a different way. And people are going crazy for it. And that's why it's like, all right, let's just, let's, let's tone back a little bit. Let's start really picking out the best single barrels um, and bottling them just for ourselves. Cause it's kind of like almost the same thing as a vintage, right? It's something that's never going to be repeated again. It's a one-time single barrel, mm-hmm. um, and it was picked for a reason because it stood out among all these other barrels. Um, so I think I think the people that are getting that concept are going to be the ones that are kind of transitioning into these other spirits and realizing that vintage means a lot more than uh, an age statement. So, so, so let me ask you in there, what percentage of the people like, you know, Jake, Dan, that is not Jake C, but Jake R and Dan, the, when you're looking at, um, you know, spirits, picks and stuff like that. And the things you're looking at, the, are people realizing this or are people so like, I don't know, like, is the consumer stupid or what? I mean, so I, when I first, when, well, when both of us started collecting, I think we would have both preferred some allocated Buffalo Trace bottle to a store pick of any other brand. Right. Um, because other I, people knew or because like, why? I, I think it's one, because these distilleries are really good at marketing. <laughs> And they're good at tricking you into thinking that their hard-to-get whiskey is better than any kind of pick of barrel pick of some other brand, right? Which, um, which in their defense, but, not all the barrel picks are going to be good, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, then, you know, being introduced to a store like Gold Eagle that tries really hard to put out the best 
possible single barrels that they can find. It's obvious that single barrels are far more interesting and um, I'd say valuable in like the, the, the real sense that they have more value than a, a normal bottle of the equivalent whiskey. Um, I mean, like the Knob Creek uh, picks that you do are like an excellent example where like a normal bottle of the Knob Creek nine year is good. Um, but I mean, the, the Knob Creek picks that you guys come out with each year are like unbelievable compared to the normal on the shelf Knob Creek. And they're maybe like five to ten dollars more than a than a normal bottle of Knob Creek. So, I mean, is is, is kind of like what we're saying is like find a great independent retailer and trust that they know what they're doing and 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 and, and take their pick. Yeah, it's I, I, you got to have a reputation, though. So mm-hmm. um, I think one thing that Gold Eagle does way better than any like we have the big chain in the area and some other small independent liquor stores. Some of your really small ones are just if they get to do a barrel pick, they're excited to do a barrel pick. They do a barrel pick. They don't know what they're doing. Um, One thing that we've, and Jake, I know it's probably changed a little bit over the years too, because I'm sure as you guys are doing a lot of them, that's more what you were doing. But any more, like Gold Eagle has a baseline of, if it doesn't hit this good a flavor, he's not doing that barrel pick. And I mean, even when I tried to sell him a barrel, uh, he said no. Eventually we went back and, watered it down a little bit and found a phenomenal bottle. Um, but it's like when you have a reputable store that really takes time with their barrel picks and you know, you're not going to get something that's crap going through their store. We, yeah. Well, not crap, but just not up to high standards. Brings up a good point. I mean, um, we got, we got offered to pick a barrel and it was just one barrel. It was a one, complete one-off from whiskey acres. It was, the oldest barrel they've ever had in terms of how long the whiskey sat in the barrel. It was the only toasted barrel. Um, and it was a super high proof. It was like 135 proof. And right now high proof is kind of all the rave. Um, and if we would have bought it at cash strength and sold it, it probably would have sold out the same day. Um, but we just didn't think it was that great. Um, got a lot of, got a lot of, a little bit of like burnt, burnt tar and a little, uh, you know, just, just a little too much ethanol on the palate. Um, and so we turned it down, but then we came back and we tried it at multiple different proof points. So I think find a store that actually cares about putting their name on a bottle. Um, and we'll go the extra steps to really make sure. I mean, we, we pride ourselves in turning down 10 barrels for every one barrel that we pick. So we're only taking in 10% of what we taste and and what do you guys what do you guys say to people when you're talking about these things like you know so look we have bourbon we put out bourbon the legitimately let's try to be like I, look i'm as biased as they come you guys have no bias on this on this question so i put it to you based on what you're hearing the, and based on what we're tasting, where do you see Armagnac in, you know, the the future uh, for bourbon drinkers? So I I think it's a great alternative. Um, I know, like I I've kind of gotten tired of bourbon. Uh, 
in recently and Jake kind of converted me to scotch. So I jumped down that hole a little bit. Um, but I, I think like there's a certain point where the market's so saturated with bourbon that you're going to try a bunch of things. You'll find out what you like, and then you don't need to keep exploring anymore. And I think that's where alternative spirit types like Armagnac or Mezcal or tequila or. Um, and what do you guys think of this tequila Mezcal thing, by the way, now that we're on it? Some of them are really good. It's, but like Jake said, some of them can be total garbage. Yeah, so. I was going to say, so there's there's only like under 200 real tequila distilleries in in the world, and there's 5,000. going back to this 8173, by the way. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. <laughs> there's there's 5,000, 10,000 tequila brands out there, and there's probably only going to be more and more every single day that we go on. Um, so I think the top – Five percent of tequila mezcal is really, really good, especially mezcal, because I think there's some really good things coming out of mezcal right now, or even like just agave spirits that aren't even, you know, can't even label themselves a tequila or mezcal because they don't follow the official rules. Um, but there's just mm-hmm. so many terrible, I hate, I mean, celebrity brands that are just ruining the agave industry by adding vanilla, sugar whatever chemicals are adding to sweeten up their product and charging a premium for it. Cause it tastes like, you know, it's like liquid dessert. Um, I think that is kind of ruining the agave industry and there needs to be more clarification ASAP and props to like tequila matchmaker. Like they're doing all this certified additive free stuff going on right now. Um, but I think there's going to be a huge shift in the agave industry within the next five years where people are going to become a lot more conscious about what they're putting in their bodies and what they're buying. Yeah. And like the brands like Cinco's and Tito's are great because they actually care about the actual distillers. So they go and find these like artisanal distillers who, again, like Jake said, there aren't that that many, Jake, like I, I yeah. was just over there. I spent, uh, I don't know, I spent a solid week driving around. Um, the good ones, they're all, you know, they're all kind of like maxed out in, in, in production for sure. There's a lot you're, of you're talking like mescalaros, um, right? Though not official distilleries. No, 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 no. I'm talking. Sorry, I'm talking tequila. The the mm-hmm. I I I I'll tell you, I don't know shit about Mescal. Mm-hmm. The the uh, I'll tell you I haven't spent time there. I don't really know what I'm talking tequila. The the I think that the um, on, on tequila the good ones are like at least among those who know are fairly well discovered in the of these mass brands. Right. And then, but you know, the thing about the mass brands, like a lot of people said, like when I was creating Whistlepig, right, they said, oh, well, you know, you're not, um, you're not producing yourself, which we began to very quickly. But the way to begin a great product is to a great brand is to start with a great product. The, but, you know, what I'm getting at is the, I, I, I wonder what's driven. Maybe you guys are just like, what has truly driven this tequila boom? I don't know. I I think a <laughs> lot of it is the celebrity marketing for the younger generation. 
could yeah, be. Yeah, I agree. Um, and dr- just drinkability on some of that stuff that Jake was talking about. Like if I you mean, add you a whole bunch drink of tequila, would you rather drink a bourbon? Just you know, take a five-year-old MGP bourbon. Take a I don't know, you know, whatever uh, reposado. It's like I'd rather get bourbon. Um, I feel like bourbon's typically more complex. Um, I think, but like, I mean, tequila can be just as complex if it's done with care and. The, the the big distilleries in the tequila region or uh, Jalisco region, I think, are just trying to pump out as much as possible. They're not really concerned with any kind of like artisanal practices to try and pull as much character out of the spirit as possible. The way that like mescaleros living in the middle of the Yucatan, like you know, do because their grandpa's grandpa taught you know like five generations on how to distill tequila or, or mezcal you know yeah, I think, in the middle of the rainforest I th- or whatever i, th- I think that's a, <laughs> a tough question raj because i think there's a time and a place for each of each spirit um and i do kind of see dan's point where i think tequila is really marketing themselves to the people that haven't really got into whiskey yet because People who are like mm-hmm. us who collect and buy a lot of whiskey, um, it's going to be really, really hard to convert someone like that into tequila if they didn't already like tequila. Um, it, it'd be easier for me to transfer Jake into an Armagnac drinker or a Scotch drinker than a tequila drinker. And I think there's a lot of people who drink tequila just to get drunk or to party. And I think those people are kind of being marketed right now as, hey, there's better stuff out there. You know, it's worth the extra $10, 20 $30 a bottle to find this bottle of tequila and drink that instead of just your cheap mixer or celebrity brand tequila. But I do, I think marketing has yeah. a ton to do with it. I and think it, it's also the difference between shot takers and sippers is tequila is a shot taker's market true where whiskey armagnac and most age spirits are a sippers market Mm -hmm. um and it's it's hard to get shot takers to convert to sippers yeah i see as (laughs) i I think there's a pretty firm divide right between I i think you see it in tequila whether you begin to have this sipping begin to have this sipping culture in tequila, but there's a pretty mm-hmm. firm divide between like clear spirits and brown spirits. But there are a lot of people that want these super aged tequilas, but a tequila yeah. doesn't age well. It just doesn't age well. Like it, it loses its essence as a as a spirit as it ages, whereas mm-hmm. an Armagnac ages extremely well. So you know, interesting stuff. I think that um, Look, as a, as a, as a, there, there is no because there's no other brands, and there's nobody else other than me basically that's bringing Armagnac. And look, we're not just an Armagnac. You want amazing rye? We tasted an amazing rye. You want an amazing bourbon? Our 2013 bourbon was amazing. Our 2014 bourbon is coming out. Next quarter, it's terrific. We've got an amazing right. rum, right? We're this a house too. Uh, With a we're 17 a year. Uh, yeah, the Gold Eagle 2005 bourbon. Oh my God! You're, you know, by the way, the I forgot you are the only people in the world uh, that have that. 
Well, we it's gone. It's sold out. Long time ago. <laughs> it's, it's sold out years ago. That's what happened. You, you had me in the library late at night. I know. You know like, uh-huh. uh, Snoop talking to me. The, the, and what did you get, like 10 cases or 20 or something we, like that? Yeah, we went through 10 cases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was amazing. Mm-hmm. 2005 vintage. But hey, I mean, you know, it helped kind of build Bakto within our store. Like it kind of brought the awareness and got people turning their heads and saying, what is this Bakta stuff? Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think yeah. another thing that I was thinking about is, you, you know, we, we brought up a good point with, um, you know, you when you were talking about how Armagnac, like people are full. They don't need to market themselves. They you know, have what they want, they know what they like, and they want it for themselves. And I think when people here think of Armagnac, a lot of times it's like, oh, yeah, Cognac, I don't like Cognac. Cognac is way too commercialized in the US where it kind of builds a a bad name for, uh, you know, grape spirits like Armagnac. Um, and I think I think there's a long way to go with Armagnac, and it's well, just going to take American a lot of education. American brandy doesn't do it justice No, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, like that's <laughs> it's even worse. But I think like a lot of people that I talk to about Armagnac who aren't really into the category, like they just kind of associate the name with like brandy or cognac, and they don't mm. they don't truly understand what goes into it and what you're going to get out of it. Um, because there is, there's like nothing behind pushing Armagnac. They don't need to push it. They know people will come to it when they want it. Um, and it's, it's, it is more of a collectible thing than a marketable sellable thing. Yeah. Well, we have to, we have to change that, right? The, 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 because at the end of the day, like, if you think about the fact that whether it's a 1973 for four or 500 bucks or a 1962, which is an amazing, but like these are like, if if you get an education in the world of spirits, you realize this is what you want. So when you're saying, when you talk to people about this stuff, they kind of just go like, look at you. Like you got three eyes. Honestly, sometimes like I get, you know, some of our higher end customers in the store and they're, they're looking for, you know, a splurge on a bottle or looking for something kind of a little bit different. And I try to gear them towards the Armagnac and they're like, and eh, no, it's not my thing. Like I had a bottle of Hennessy once and didn't like it. <laughs> and then, really? and that's, that's like an extreme example, but yes, like that does happen. And it's like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like you need to come to one of our master classes with Bakta and like learn why that is so totally out of this conversation. Yeah, like, yeah, com- yeah. It's yeah. almost it's, it's, it should be com- I mean it is a different spirit category, but it should be like, you know, completely different. And I'm not going to say, you know, we're most most Every store that you walk oh, into has all the brandies oh, kind of bunched oh, together. Wait, wait, wait a second. I go to Dan, the mm-hmm. the, and then Jake R. Do you think in the consumers that they think Armagnac and they hear cognac? I think that or brandy, American brandy. Like the biggest thing I was going to say that I'm taking away from this is I the last little bit I've become very stingy with purchases. 
Um, I am buying the 1981, uh, which will probably be about the third or fourth most I've ever spent on a bottle. And I am not a big Armagnac guy, and I'm just going to go ahead and pull that. You're underselling how stingy you are. Yeah, he is. That's why I was like, wait, Dan, you're buying a bottle right now from Gold Eagle? I, 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 I saw it was on sale. I'm like, God damn it. All right, we're going. Wait, wait what, is like it, is it on, what is it on sale for? 280 Oh my God! It's highway I, robbery. I, I haven't well, put I haven't put the order through because Jake still owes me a credit on my account. I do. So um, as soon as that credit I on do. the account goes up, that buy button is getting hence put the stingy it. part. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's. So I I think that's that's an interesting point to make, right? That the seventy three goes for like five six hundred dollars less. Less. What would the equivalent Scotch sell for? thousands no no i mean so so let's talk about how many tens of thousands yeah yeah Um, so you know it's it's kind of insane that and it's it's and it's nowhere near you know less of a spirit it's just nobody it's just kind of undiscovered i feel like and that was my kind of whole point with that is you talk to the average person and they just assume oh armagnac yeah no i don't like I don't like cognac or, you know, any of that stuff. And it's just like, no, this is completely cognac different. Cognac is for somebody else. Yeah, completely different. And it's it's hard to get somebody's mind to understand that without listening to like a podcast yeah. like well, this I mean, or we, we've talked going about... to a tasting where you're actually getting in-depth about, you know, spirits, like a master class. Yeah, and well, we've, we've talked about how rye whiskey used to be grandpa's drink you know from like the 50s or whatever yeah it was Um, your drunk uncle's drink yeah because it was cheap and drunk drunk it's just uncle (laughs) yeah (laughs) right (laughs) and like you know that's been turned around um though there's some holdouts like dan um but (laughs) you know like i i I think armagnac could could make that that turn as well (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm cheap and i'm crotchety right yeah (laughs) two big words and they get called a lot so (laughs) but i i think it's um probably well past due for armagnac to make that that turn and get some of the recognition that it probably has long deserved definitely long deserved but yeah all right. Well, listen, I'll tell you this much. Like in everything that I've seen in the world of spirits, there are amazing spirits. There are great spirits that you can get at great values. You can get a $25 bottle of whiskey that's great. You can. You can. The, but if you really want something special, if you really want something unique, if you really want something with history and, and, and flavor and depth and complexity, that also demonstrates it that you know something and you've spent some time thinking about what you're getting. There's nothing like Armin yet. And Raj. And on that point I rest my case. And I'm sorry to I'm sorry to kind of drag this on, but I think we we didn't really touch about history and how much you love history. And I think that's another really cool thing that ties into Bakta's going back and drinking the seventy three and talking about what happened in nineteen seventy three and going back to even the 1800s and talking about what happened when this yeah. Armagnac was distilled, so, you know? So, so, so I'll, I'll share with you guys a little bit and we bring it up. Uh, it's a chance to nine. relive. 
in this conversation. It is a chance to relive that. And it's a chance for us as Americans, right? My family, my father came here for in like 1968 from India. My mother came here in the early 1950s as a child from England. And, you know, we live in a time where we've forgotten what an amazing and great country this is. And I feel like this history that's in these bottles, right, is a moment for reflection, a moment to stop and to think about the lessons of time and for us to like gain perspective. There's really been no better time to be alive, right? The, and then we can go back in time whether it's 1962, the age of Kennedy, or in the bottle of 1928. We haven't even talked about 1928, which is my favorite product in many ways. Yes, the, we got to talk about it at least. connects us back to the roaring 20s and the story of humankind and the American people and uh, the extraordinary accomplishments of this country. The And again, not just of this country, but of humankind, Right. That's what, you know, let's take the 1973 that we tasted. 1973, just, just barely went to the moon. Would you think about that? That was a huge accomplishment. We went to the moon over 50 years ago. I don't know if we can go to the moon again today, but <laughs> we went there 50 years ago, right? The, uh, we were making things. There was manufacturing. There was a faith and optimism. There was a knowledge of like, uh, you know, I don't want to get political, but, you know, if you're a boy, you're a boy, you're a girl, you're a girl, you know, like, you know, there were basic knowledges of where the, the, the guardrails were and people had a basic sense of optimism. And if we can look back to these times where we can learn things in our present day, which are really good for us to remember of what makes success. That's something that I think that uh, there are not really many spirits brands that can do that. Uh -uh. I mean, yeah. The, so what I'm hearing is Raj Bakta for president 2028. <laughs> 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 Mariachi band round two. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, let's talk about the 1928. Just yeah, briefly talk about the 1928. We should have we should have talked more about it, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, it was my number two whiskey of the year last year, which I revealed yep. on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Well, Jake, you can go fuck yourself that it wasn't number one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> remember earlier when he was talking about number one and then nothing, everything else not counting. Jake, no, yeah, exactly. Way <laughs> <laughs> way to really yeah, rub that in. Right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know how many whiskeys uh, I tried last year? <laughs> Thousands. <laughs> so, uh, nineteen twenty-eight is basically here's your entry point into the world of Bakta. Okay, this is everything that we've got of the various things that we tasted. We tasted rye, we tasted Armia, we actually tasted any Calvados, which is in here. But this is a combination of it all, right? That was 2707. There was a mixture of that in there. And I literally took everything that we had and I said, okay, I'm going to create the most crazy price point that we can on this. It's going to be $7 a bottle, roughly on the shelf. And I'm going to take 
everything that I've got and create an amazing blend that integrates together well. So rye, we haven't talked about Calvados. We haven't tasted any Calvados, but it's an apple brandy from the northwest of France. The spice of rye. Oh, we did actually in the 2013 rye complements mm. well with Calvados. And then we put a little bit of really old Armagnac vintages in. So I can ask you the question, have you ever tasted something nearly 100 years old? Uh, yeah, in the 1928. <laughs> I agree. Bingo. Same thing. But otherwise not, right? So it's got 1928, 1941, 1928 Roaring Twenties, 1941, World War II is raging, December 7th, my birthday, we get into the Second World War, 1962, Kennedy, Optimism, Space Age. 1973, number one spirit in the world. 1996, we haven't had that vintage. These are all in here. So this is a whiskey forward blend. So anybody who's into whiskey, you're going to taste this and it's going to taste very familiar to you. But you're going to notice these other notes. Alan, do we have that anywhere in the 1928? If you grab me a little taste, I can go through it. The, the, and you're just going to find like a flavor profile at 100 proof. Very rich, very complex, but not overwhelming. So 1928 is something that's not always in stock, but every now and then in stock, you should pick it up. It is, I think, the greatest blend I've ever put together. Extremely rich and complex. You can't quite put your finger on it overall. And That's a, that's a good point. You can't quite put your finger on it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's another master example of blending and balance. Um, and we talked about this a lot in our Best Whiskeys of 2023 episode, that it's just so well balanced between the notes of the rye and the sweetness of the Calvados and then all those like dark, darker notes, notes in the Armagnac. mustier notes kind of yeah. kick in. It's just it's fantastic. It's one of the most well-rounded, unique, definitely the most unique spirit I've ever had. When people walk yeah. in the, mm -hmm. see, Raj, you made it so easy on me. When people walk in the store, they're like, what do you have that's unique? <laughs> what do you have that's different? The first <laughs> thing I go to is 1928. It's like here. So have you been able to, have you, have you stayed supplied with it? I mean, uh, like, have you well, been able to get it? Well, I know like you, you told me like, we're going to be able to stay you know, kind of supplied. I mean, we haven't been like pushing it, pushing it, pushing it, but we've gone through about 10 to 15 cases just of hand selling and telling people about it. And when I tell people the blend and that there's a little bit of spirit from 1928 in there, it really intrigues a lot of people, but it is a hand sell. It's not something that, it's not something that, you know, we get people rushing in. Do you have any Bacta 1928? Like, do you have any Pappy or do you have any Stag? Like, no, this is something that is hand-sold um, and something that I think you would, most people would like better than something that's super hyped up and rare and hard to find um, just because it is so unique, unlike anything they've ever had before. It, it is it, unique and hard to find. It's pretty easy uh, to convince people after they have a little pour of it too. Well, it's, yeah, we got to do, do more. Once they taste it, and once they know 
the blend. I mean, I'm fortunate that Raj has told me the blend and I, I tell our customers in there and then it seems like they're just sold immediately or at least intrigued to go to the bar and try a pour of it. So mm -hmm. can you explain like what went into the blend and how old everything is with everybody or? Yeah. Cause so wrapping up with 1928, like what is this thing in a nutshell? 1928 is basically everything that we had in our entire stock portfolio that we put together at a less than $100 price point that we could deliver to the consumer to open their eyes to the world of Bakhto. What is that? So uh, we start with our oldest vintage, 1928, the Roaring 20s, 1941, 1962, 1973, number one spirit in the world, 1996. And then we have these Calvadoses that are in there. Beautiful Calvados, 30 years old. That is paired to a rye base, that's 60% rye. So if you're a whiskey drinker, you're going to love this. This is mostly whiskey, but it's whiskey, as we say, perfected through its combination of America's iconic rye whiskey paired with these ancient French brandies, Calvados and Armagnac, that come together in this symphony that you'll just never be able to replicate in any other bottle. And that's what 1928 is. History in a bottle. It's the ability to taste something nearly 100 years old for less than 100 bucks. And, um, you know, it's our greatest creation. I think uh, that's a phenomenal... Uh, just kind of sum it all up with 1928 and mm -hmm. kind of sum up the podcast here. Uh, Raj, thank you very much for hopping on. I gotta, I gotta end with a coupon. Of course. Um, if, if you, if you put in B M Bakta, so B M B H A K T A, uh, it'll get you 10% off any Bakta bottle that we have in stock at gold Eagle. Um, it won't, it won't discount further than any sale prices. So this is just off of regularly priced bottles. Uh, but we've got a pretty wide inventory. Go to goldeaglewine.com, search Bakta. You'll pull up uh, everything that we have. Um, it's always going to change. There's there's going to be lots of unique things on there. Um, but yeah, follow us on Instagram, Gold Eagle Wine. Follow us on Facebook at Gold Eagle Spirits um, and see everything up to date with Gold Eagle. And I'll throw it back to Bourbon Matters here. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Raj. This is absolutely awesome. Um, Phenomenal. Lots of great conversation. So, yeah, so glad to have you on. A podcast about bourbon and the ones who drink it. This is Bourbon Matters.